Hey, what's up? Welcome to Basecraft. So after last week's chat with Cormac Moore, I really kind of was inspired to try and learn the double bass again when he was telling me how much fun he gets out of it and how he only picked it up in the last five years and he's really good on it. So um, I actually got a gig once a month now playing with some friends of mine here in um, Clonmel. We do a fully acoustic session playing all kind of old country songs, John Prine, Towns Van Zandt stuff like that and um I'm, I'm playing double bass at it the first gig i had i actually brought down my electric bass and my double bass which i'm not a word of a lie i don't think i'd actually even played in about five years so um yeah it actually went okay like hands were sore after it just intonation not fantastic but i got through the gig didn't go near the electric and i really enjoyed it so i went down to cork this week and i got a, a quick lesson off a student down there michael o'reardon brilliant bass player and he was kindly told me how terrible my technique was so got some good tips off him gonna keep practicing it away and i'll keep you updated how it goes so today's guest is watchy i've known watchy for years um we were kind of touring on the same circuit back in the day when crow black chicken were starting out and he was in a band called val normal and um yeah we we just you know went to sessions and played the same gigs and we'd always be seeing each other so and we've kept in touch ever since and um, since then he started a new band called Stitch Jones, a two-piece, drums and bass. Obviously we're going to talk about all this in the pod. And just, just this week he joined a new band called Strangers With Guns. Great hard rock metal band um, playing away on the Irish scene, have had a few releases. Um, so I was really happy to see he was their new bassist because I'm actually a fan of the band because I think there's a serious drought in Ireland of just straight up rock, good rock bands. Um, so yeah, we chat about loads of stuff, his career, you know, all the different bands he's been in, doing a two-piece, all that kind of stuff. And he's a really interesting guy, so check out all his stuff down in the description. He actually had a solo album out, solo EP called Watchy. He's got Stitch Jones on Spotify and now Strangers With Guns on Spotify also. So they have a few gigs coming up, I've put them in the description as well. And um, enjoy the episode. I still have a few Basecraft tees left, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see it. And... Um, yeah, like, subscribe, all that good stuff, and I'll see you in a minute. What's going on with you, anyway? You were saying you used to have a, a pedal board in an Aldi bag back. Was this when you started out? Yeah, yeah, because I just never really had used pedals as much. I was always straight into amps. And then the guys in Val Normal, the band I used to be in, they were like, hey, why don't you get an EQ and a tuner? And I was like, huh? I was like, what? what's the point in that? And then they sat me down. Jokes. <laughs> Yeah, I obviously knew what the tuner was for, but uh, the EQ was like how, and he was like, it's going to take out all like the punchy bits and it helps you just like really overall get your sound better. And I was like, okay, yeah, I wasn't aware how to use it. So I was like, sit me down, talk me through it. And to this day, like if I have any pedals, I just call Dara and it is like, hey, I'm coming over to you. Let's just sit down and figure this thing out together. Yeah, some people are geniuses with the pedals. I, I, I kind of... Yeah. People know me as someone who uses a lot of pedals, but I wouldn't say I'm, I really know, I'm not super good at explaining how they work. Like I just kind of twiddle mm. the knobs. Some people know exactly what everything does and they could, they could do it. They could write it on a piece of paper and give it to you without having the pedal in front of them. But I'm not one of those people. I just twiddle around and figure it out from there. Like I put everything low first and then just like, right, how's it sound? Everything low, how's it sound? Everything mid, how's it sound? Everything high. And then just figure out which one suits you. Yeah. Well, I like to see what I can get sounds i can get out of the pedals i have like you know mix the chorus and the distortion and the wah pedal in different ways and then different amounts of them to get different sounds instead of going buying loads of new pedals for sounds try and see what you can make with what you have like 
Yeah, absolutely. Turn this off. Sorry, turn off my phone here. No, no, you fire away. I'm make sure mine's off. Mine's always off. No one be talking to you. No, everyone tells me that they're like, I always try and call you. It's just like, yeah, if I'm not in work, my phone's not on. So, yeah, it's good to have you on. Uh, we've known each other for years. Like, for, for, Yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't know. Is it because I'm older? Well, I am. Uh, I am like 36. That's old. Is that old? I don't know. But I'm older anyway. I don't know. I'm 33 and I feel old. So it's, yeah, it's, it's up to you. I feel old at the moment. So when you're hanging out with younger musicians, you feel old. But um, uh, I think. It seems like the, the music scene isn't as vibrant at the moment, but maybe it's because we're not of that age that we're going up and down the country playing these free games yeah. and doing band nights, obviously, because they're oh, coming back now. Like When we first met, it would have been around those times when it was just like, oh, we're playing a show in, like, Clamell, then we're over to, like, Galway, then we're back up to, like, Warren Point and back to Dublin for two more. And it was just, just the norm to be gigging four or five nights a week at that stage yeah. like and it was vibrant like if you were in an original rock band you could go out and do six gigs around ireland oh, totally. in one week and it wasn't that crazy there was enough venues and stuff to do it like and you always knew somebody from that county were kind of like what bands from there and you're like oh such and such oh i know the bass player i know the drummer let's give them a call they can hook yeah. us up with a promoter yeah it was that uh, you were in val normal when i met you first like uh i don't know how, would I, it, how, yeah. how would I describe that band Kind of um, rocky, Matt Rock definitely. mixed with grunge music. Is that kind of... per- perfect? Perfect uh, summarization. Yeah, yeah, that's what Peter in that band was one of my childhood friends. And they, I went to see them like two or three times before I'd ever joined the band. I was just going to support my mate. Like, and I'd met Dara a couple of times here and there. And then their bass player was, he was going to like England to finish off a degree. And they had like, I think two or three shows lined up and they said, look, just fill in for these two, three shows. And then we're actually going to follow him over to England and base the band out of there. And I was like, yeah, sure. No problem. I, as you stated before, bass players really humble. I didn't think I was good enough for the gig. I was like, all right, we'll have a jam and see, but I don't think I'm the guy you're looking for. And we did the two shows and then someone at the third show offered us recording. And the guys were like, you okay to just hang on for that? And I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. Not thinking nothing of it. Mm. And then, yeah, I ended up being in the band for four years. But you are an official me- member. That, that seems to happen to bass players a lot. I was reading about, well, I know Jerry McAvoy was never officially in Rory's band. He used to get the contract yeah. once a year, like, and it was quite frustrating for him. And I know that the guy just quit the Deftones there this week. Did you see that? Yeah, yes. Uh, oh, what's his name again? Something Vega. The guy with the green hair. Yeah, he was playing with them when I seen them, but he he'd been with them, he'd been with them at least the last four plus years, like longer. I'd say nearly ten years yeah. at this stage, like, and still I no. Suppose, con- yeah. And the guy in the Rolling Stones is the same. The bass player in the Rolling Stones for like thirty years or something. Still not. Is that like people? Are, we're not worthy of being official members. We're just the bass player. <laughs> we're just we're the, we're the silent heroes, man. We're just like we just get in, do our job. Don't expect. There's no, there's no um, drama with us. I always think. Yeah, in general, generally, bass players are fairly chill. I've never met one with a super big ego, really. Usually, no, the more grounded member of the band. As soon as they get one, they almost catch themselves and are kind of like, "What am I doing?" Like, or they get fired. <laughs> <It's> like, yeah, <laughs> or as simple as your job as a bass player is to support. So, I think you have to be, just be able to see the bigger picture and see past your own nose. And I think that's what makes bass players 
the friendlier, the more approachable kind, I guess. Yeah, and I love that Ozzy Osbourne quote about drummers. Like, anyone who wants to beat the shit out of things for a living, there's something wrong with them. <laughs> so, drummers, drummers are crazy. Like. Oh, any, any drummer I've ever had, it is gen- genuinely like, I know if I'm out with them, like, it's going to be a crazy night. Whereas if I go out with any bass player friends on, I'm like, oh, it's going to be a grand night. Everyone's going to have a good time. Everyone's going to behave Chill. themselves. Your that guy was crazy. guy was in Van Larmel. Um, he became a chef, did he, or something like that in London? Yeah, yeah. He's uh, he's in Germany, Germany. I was uh, the last time I was talking to him. I was on a night shift, and it was like I'd say like between three and five in the morning. And he just messaged me out of the blue and said, "Hi, I just uh, I'm just in from work. We are one star away from being a two star Michelin restaurant Fucking from the work man. myself and my team have put in." I was like, "Holy shit, man! Like, what a long way you've come since." Imagine just banging food. a few drums. Imagine the food he'd be making you on tour, like in the bus, like but he, he was the cook. He was right. the cook when we were on tour. So I said, I'm not surprised that's what you went into. Was it good? But, yeah. Uh, the, the stuff he'd rustle up, like even in the back uh, of a van or in some shitty uh, kitchen. He'd rustle up some crap. Like it, it inspired me to learn how to cook that way. Where it's just like he could throw anything together and make he could make beans on toast look lush. <laughs> he was a great drummer. Is he still playing the drums? Like he had not been for a while, but he found like a little studio where he lives and he just set up a little kit. And he says, like, when he gets a chance, he goes in, he says, the restaurant is, he said, it's crazy hours. Yeah. You're talking six, sometimes six and a half days a week. You're in there and it's all different times. But he says when he does get time. Yeah. Cause I was like, it'd be an awful shame if you did play. And I'm not, I noticed that with a lot of guys from, that old scene you meet up with them and you speak again you're like hey you're still playing and they're just like no no i actually stopped doing this or i i got a job doing that and i just lost the time and i was like ah, i always try and squeeze one hour in but i suppose it's easier to just pick up a base than it is to set up a whole kit yeah well i think the world we come from is slightly different to a lot of the base stuff that's online at the moment we're from original rock bands like i was in an original rock band from day one playing their songs never learned any covers it took me years to get around to learn a few covers so when you don't have a band project going you're kind of not inspired to play as much are you like it's kind of yeah like, yeah i couldn't be arsed was... going on youtube learning a bunch of licks or covers you're like i want to be writing yeah. songs that was my biggest thing with uh with lockdown was i kind of lost the not the interest but like that i had no musicians that i knew i was going i had nothing to work towards so i find myself going days without playing and that was the f- i'm playing bass 20 years next year and it was the first time in 20 years that i'd gone more than like i don't know four or five days without mm. picking up at all the only thing that actually kept me going was it was this podcast oh, the minute enough. i'd see it, the minute i'd see an episode I, I was just like grand i'm gonna listen to that when i'm on my walk or when i'm doing something and i know that's gonna make me want to go home and as you say get into the shed and just so thank you for that you're probably the only thing that kept me going <laughs> cheers no i kind of started the only Ambition at the start was I put up like a post on Bassist Ireland. They said, guys, who are the top five Irish bass players that we should have a podcast about? And I did them. And then it's like, fuck it. Like, I should keep going. So I just kept going, yeah. you know, finding guests like. Oh, the Jerry McAvoy one was amazing. It was such, such a good lesson. Like... I actually read his entire book the day before. I, I got the book two days before the interview and I read the whole book. Yeah. Like, Is so that writing shotgun? Yeah. I had like, yeah. I probably knew more about his life for that than he knew because it was all fresh in the head like that's what you want you want to let them know that you're you're interested like yeah it's good because i 
Oh, I read some of it, but I never finished it. But as soon as you said it in the podcast, like he's talking about riding shotgun, I was like, that is such a good read. Like, and to do with Rory Gallagher is just always going to be a good read. Like, yeah, there's been a few books, but I think Jerry's is more kind of warts and all. And because he was actually there, it's like, yeah, the, the horse's mouth, you know, what happened or whatever. Like, I'd no clue he was in uh, Nine Below Zero until that podcast. Yeah, so for I was years. Like, I'd say about I was like, I had to go back and just watch all the old footage. I was like, oh my God, it is him. Like I first seen them on the young ones. Mm. They're in the very first episode. And I was only watching it the other night and I was like, yeah, there he is. I was like, I can't believe I'd never picked up that was him. Yeah, he came, I don't know what happened with that band. He finished up with him. He's just, he's touring around himself now with his kind of solo band, Jerry McAfee band. So doing decent. Yeah, like. mega, mega. And so what age were you when you picked up the bass? Like, and what was the impetus to... Was it, were you a guitar player getting given the bass? No, no, never. never. I actually, to this day, still don't really know how to play a guitar. I know how Fair to play the bass. Holding out, hold out against it. That's, uh, I remember one of the fir- uh, first teenage bands I was in, that's what one of the guys said to me, like, the reason we got you is you just, you were so dedicated to the bass where anyone else kind of just said, oh, do I have to be? Whereas you were like, no, I want to be the bass player. <laughs> um, God, when did I, I started my 14th birthday was my first bass so from 14 and it was my uh, neighbors had a shed out their back and one of their sons had a little punk band they used to just play like green day covers and all that kind of stuff but they would always ask they'd kind of like nearly go around to the house and be like hey we're just playing some songs you just want to come in and have a listen like so innocent like and I was one of them. I was like, yeah, yeah, sure. I love music. Like I'd been into rock music since like my dad would play like all around the house. And I know they're not your favorite band, but Oasis was like always my introduction <laughs> I, I to music. I teach some of their yeah. songs in my lessons. They're really good songs for teaching because it's like, yeah, you yeah. Break down what's going on really easily. Like They were like, because obviously I, I was I was the right age when they came out. So that was for me the first like cassettes I remember buying. So I always knew like, God, I love rock music. I'd love to be able to do that. So I went in anyway to this neighbor's house and it was just a three piece and they played when I come around by green day. I remember I was the first number one was the first time I ever heard green day. Mm. And then I remember I, uh, they finished the song and I was like, that was great. And then I said, guys, what's the thing that keeps making in here rumble and they're like what do you mean I was like as you are playing something it feels like it's rumbling like my bones or something and the bass player was like it's a mixture of the bass drum and he's like in this this is a bass guitar and I was like a bass guitar I was like what is that and he just sat down and kind of like broke the bass down mm. with me and I was like I was like oh my god I want that I always wanted to be a drummer but I, the more I looked at the drums the more I was like that just looks far too daunting to try and you have to figure out how to do four different things with four different limbs. Yeah. <laughs> like no way. And it's a hard sell, man, get me a drum kit so I can just break the house down for two years. Yeah. That's perfect. Great for me getting lots of students. Cause a lot of them do actually want to play drums, but their parents won't yeah. buy them a drum kit. I was like, ah, the bass is kind of like the drums. Go for, <laughs> go for the bass. That's it. If you want to, if you want an understanding of rhythm, like by all means get a bass. And like I said earlier, you don't have to, you can just pick the thing up and play away at it. Like, um, but the guy in question, he's actually my brother's best friend now, Stephen Farrelly's his name. He had like this vintage kind of bass that he just sat and talked me through the whole thing and then showed me like a few like licks on it. And he's like, hey, here's how you do this. Here's how you do that. 
And then I just got straight home. I think I was a bit about 11 or 12 by that stage. And I was like, ma'am, I want to, I don't want drums anymore. I want a bass guitar. And then she was just like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. And then I told my older brother about it. And he was like, bass guitar, that sounds interesting. He had a job at the time. So he went straight out and bought himself a bass guitar. <laughs> Two and he was like, Yeah, yeah. He went out, bought, it was just an SX, like uh, the Pino Palladino color. It's the red mm. with the wine colored scratch, but it was just one of them. He brought that home and he was like, right, that's ours now. Let's let's try and figure this thing out. And then that was it. We kind of just, he had like maybe a year or two on it more than I did before I got my own. But it was still, even to this day, we still text each other ideas and riffs and stuff oh, like that. He plays that. away still, like he's still a bass player. Himself. Plays away. He's, he, in lockdown, he got more into guitar. Mm. He bought a crap load of like Harley Benton jazz masters because he just wanted that whammy bar. Mm. And he says, he's, he's like, no, I play guitar way more now, whereas I'm still just like, no, bass player. <laughs> That's what I play. <laughs> bass player of her life. But, mm. um, did, was it learning riffs and stuff? Did you, did you ever get lessons or get into like the academic side of things? I started with, he, my brother uh, had picked up a good bit by that stage and he was like, learn to play by ear. He's like, if you learn to play by ear, it will, it will just stand to you. And you can just kind of join in any session then. And I was like, okay, sure. And he kind of, what he'd do is he'd show me half a song. He used to show me full songs. And then as time went on, he went, right, I'm only going to show you half and I want you to pick out the second half for me. And I'd struggle here and there and stuff like that. But I remember the very first time I got a whole song on my own. It was the Pixies, I Bleed. Simple enough song. Yeah, good band to start with, like the ear training. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think the song, the song opens with the bass and I think it's actually F sharp D, F sharp B. And I remember the day I got that, I ran into him and I was like, check it out. I did. I figured this whole thing. And I was expecting him to be like, no, you're actually a bit wrong. But he was like, no, you got it. Fair play. That's your first song. Yeah, that's class. And that then, is some achievement. When you're when you get something by ear for the first time, it's uh, a oh, eureka moment. It's like, oh, my, I can't believe I did that. It's just it's it's the best feeling in the world, because because when you first start playing, you do you kind of feel stupid with just playing that same riff. Like for me, it was Seven Nation Army. I just played that oh, riff Jesus. over and over and over. <laughs> and then I'd throw some ACDC in because the beauty of Cliff Williams uh, playing is it's it's so supportive. You can just strum an open E for a whole thing, but it's still you still feel part of the song. So it's... I was thinking of making a sign for my um, place where I give the lessons. You know the way in Wayne's World, it says no stairway. <laughs> put in no no seven nation <laughs> i was actually at a party once and uh someone broke out some guitars and they were like hey dara was with me from val normal and they were like guys oh, just start playing some stuff in the corner and we're like yeah sure and then one girl just kind of falls out of the toilet out of her mind and she's like oh my god give me that guitar i want i, I can play something and before i even ha- as i handed it to her i just went at seven nation army isn't it and she was like how did you know that i was like it's just just play it just yeah oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> i can't listen to it can't listen no. it used to be one of my favorite songs of all time but it's and i love jack white and i love the white stripes but it's it's just definitely one i skip yeah, it's overdone. But yeah, they were a class band back when they were going. Like, it was really yeah. interesting what he was doing. Like, I just couldn't believe that it was just two people. I was like, what does he do for? Because I, I would have listened to a lot of metal at that stage. So I was like, but you got to have like, you know, Iron Maiden, like three guitar players. So when one guy's doing the solo, <laughs> the other two guys are picking up the stack. Whereas yeah. I'd watch live clips of them and 
he just played a solo while she just drummed away and it was amazing to see like yeah that takes some understand some rhythm for, on his side yeah. to just be able to do his solo without any backing up like and they did like no set list they would he'd just turn around and just like jump and as he would land she'd just have to know what song he was going into <laughs> it was so so free like yeah no that that's that is class and that's the great thing about being in an original band you can get away with doing random stuff like that and i was never really yeah. a fan of being in a band with more than one guitar player though i don't know how you feel about that it's just i way prefer just playing with a, one guitarist like i i did three pieces pretty much most of my playing and then i did two piece the last few years whereas now that i've joined strange the guns they've got a second guitar player in i was like oh Oh shit! It's gonna be my foot in there now. Like, oh, bands with two guitars. I hate that. No, no, no. My new band is two guitars. (laughs) Trust me. I no. I I because I'm a bit like, oh, I wonder how this is gonna work. Because to go from just being me and a drummer Mm. for the last like five five plus years to suddenly having to completely change my playing as I did all those years ago. But it's nice. It's just nice to have something to do I guess nice to have focus like I said earlier it, it was hard to motivate myself to play whereas now I'm back to picking it up like even I had 15 minutes before I came on here I just saw my bass I was like ah screw it I'm just gonna start playing something I got 15 minutes to kill like because just the the idea to like strip back your plane and shake it up again is there and it's just such a, a nice uh nice feeling I'd say you're like you're like me, like you know, you probably wouldn't write anything, and then now you have you're in strangers with guns. You're probably coming out with loads of riffs and stuff. You're like, oh, I can bring that to definitely, the band. definitely. And I keep saying because that was my first question. I was like, do you just want me just to come in, play the parts, and go home? I was like, I can do that. I've I've been in cover bands where it is just do the job and go home. And they were like, no, we want you to come in and like, you know, give us your ideas, change up some things. I was like, that's fine. And I was like, but if you don't like that, don't don't be afraid to say like, Hey, that's not so good. Like I'm, I'm big and ugly enough to take the try something different kind of route. So we, we better fill the listeners in on who, who um, strangers with guns are like, hmm. you, you, you can do the blurb since you're the new bass player. You're going to have to do this for any interviews. Yeah. Yeah. I first became aware of them. I think it would have been about 2017 when my old band Stish Jones was kind of just gigging lots and I'd heard the name come up and I was like, oh, it's not a bad name. But then I had heard um, like Jeff the singer used to like play on stage in like a Hawaiian kind of skirt and like yeah. a coconut bra. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, who who are these guys? I, I want to see these. And so obviously you'd look them up, kind of listen to it, but it's really sort of like grungy, almost bordering on metal. And that's just right up my street. So yeah. And we had organized all through the last two years, Stitch Jones themselves had tried to organize gigs and each time new restrictions would come in. It was like two or three gigs we'd booked and every time it was right up until, I mean, the day before the gig, the government would just be like, oh, sorry, yeah, we're we're closing everything again. And I was just like, oh, for God's sake, we're never going to be able to gig (laughs) together. Never going to get back at it. No, no. And then... Up until I think it was last November, we were finally due to play with them again, finally, upstairs in Wales. And I was like, great, this is going to be good. And then restrictions happened again. <laughs> I know. There was some kicking the balls. I was in it. That's the funny thing is, but I do, I do the bookings for Crow Black Chicken in Ireland. Like, 
I just didn't yeah. bother booking any gigs. I was like, I'm not, I'm not Irish, like, because they all keep getting cancelled. <laughs> yeah, it's just so, so frustrating. Like, I was the same. It got to the stage that, pe- you know, promoters would message me and say, hey, are you around so-and-so? And I'd just be like, look, I'm, I don't know. We don't know where we'll be. I don't fancy trying to get a whole set together, so much on top of everything else, and then just for the rug to be pulled yeah. from underneath us. But so that gig got cancelled with the lads, but I stayed in touch with them because uh, they just seemed really like into Sis Jones, my band. And, and I'm always shocked when anybody pays any attention to any music mm. I put out that isn't that isn't like, you know, my brother or my missus because I'm like, they love me. They Well, they have to like what I like because they love me. <laughs> they have to like it and share it around. Yeah, <laughs> oh, they have to. It's just it's just the rules. Like my brother taught me. So whenever I release anything straight away, he's like, let me just critique that and tear it apart. I'm like, please do. It, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be you without it. <laughs> but they um, we, I stayed in touch with them and they were, I was just shocked by how much like they knew of the stuff I'd put out and everything. I was like, wow, Jesus, these guys really like me. Um, and then I seen Ricky, their bass player, had left, and I didn't. I just messaged him saying, "Hey, mm. what happened with Ricky? Uh, like, you seemed pretty solid." And they were just like, "Ah, oh, long, long story here and there." And then I just said, "Oh, so what is what he's kind of looking for in a bass player?" And they just wrote back, "You." <laughs> <laughs> I, honestly, when I saw that, because when I saw, I'm actually a big fan of Stranger with Guns. I really like what they do, and yeah. there's, there's just not many bands like there's a really strong metal scene and all mm. that but there's i don't i can't mention any rock bands in ireland like nor grown like like what they do there's a very yeah. few just straight rock bands that you can go see these days there's loads of metal bands and there's loads of r&b bands and laptop bands and all that but bands so do what, they're doing, bands. what they're doing isn't isn't out there as much anymore really is it like yeah that's what uh, a friend another friend of mine uh ross shannon he plays an ice pop and he was kind of, he messed me and he's like man I, I see you're with Stranger Guns like, yeah yeah and he's just like exactly what you said you just don't see a lot of bands just kind of still just doing that thing anymore it's either there's all some kind of niche kind of thing they do they're just a couple of lads get up plug in and just play some riffs and I was like yeah the riffs yeah, yeah. but the, the bit is I, perfect when I saw you were new bass pair I was like oh that makes perfect sense <laughs> <laughs> I was shocked because when they said you, I was like, ah, like guys, I've, I've been out of practice for so long. Like I haven't been, I only had, I've done one gig since everything's reopened and it was back in uh, early November. Now it was great, but it was literally the same set we had played three years ago. Like we just got into a room, ran through the exact same set we'd always play. We didn't try anything new. I think even on the night, Ross Midrum was like, do you want to do this? And I just went, no, we haven't. We haven't rehearsed anything new in years. Let's just get in, play the same set we used to and just make sure we can still play. Mm. But they were they were like, no, no, like, please just... They were like ready to give it to me there and then. But I was like, no, no, I want, I want a jam. I want to see. I don't know if you do that. I'm very much like, everything sounds great on paper. Let's get into a room and actually see how we gel as musicians oh, first. Oh, yeah, but I only did it there recently because um, I have a gig coming up and you have to get into the room. Like, I, I didn't want to make any extra plans beyond the first yeah. jam. I was like, it's it's personalities as well. Like, you know, like... Oh, completely. Like, I, I play audition for a band up in Dublin years ago and the audition went great and I played great, but I was just thinking, we're not... We're not... I don't think we'll click as people. Like, and, and there was nothing yeah, wrong with them. Yeah. And it was probably more me because I'm more introverted a lot of the time. 
and it, yeah. you, you really have to click with the people as well as musically and so you, that's what totally. you do like. it's 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 i always say it to my missus i go it, it is it's 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 a it's a relationship it's proper getting to know one or two other people that's getting to know like you know their likes their hates their turn-ons their turn-offs what their favorite drink is food like and then you got to take into consideration how they're feeling that day and all i said it's it's a lot more than just getting up plugging your instrument in playing and then like leaving you you're really you're talking what two three hours in a van or in your case eight hours and 45 minutes yeah (laughs) you gotta get on with the guys if you're doing eight hours and 45 minutes yeah but also go on sorry uh also understanding uh when to give them space and stuff that that happened Mm. a lot in val normal the the two guys were so gung-ho over it whereas i was a lot more anxious then so i'd need a lot of like hey do you mind if i just kind of go and just chill in the corner or just kind of do my thing or go for a walk before the Mm. show and they kind of didn't understand it. They thought like, oh, do you not want to be here? And I was like, it's not that. It's just, it's a bit overwhelming. I just kind of need 10, 15 minutes to myself to pick it up. So, Yeah, I'm like I don't know. myself. Like, I like to go for a walk or something. And what's a type of negative? I saw an interview with the singer Peter Steele. Is that his name? The guy from yeah, that yeah. band. And they asked him, what's the hardest thing about touring? And he said, being around people all the time. He just, <laughs> he just wanted some space, you know, to yeah. for himself, like. It is because it can it can be such a if you're not used to it because like, as I said I before I joined Val Normal I, I didn't really gig as much I I did a few local gigs where I'm from but I'd never really commit to you know Dublin City and play like my first gig with them was Wheelands and that just blew my mind yeah. I was like oh my god I'm in Wheelands like yeah. granted there was nobody there but <laughs> where are you from was, uh, Wachi I'm from Swords just okay. just right beside the airport so uh, North Dublin. Same with Peter. That's what we're we're both from there. Whereas Dara was from Donamid, but we played a few local shows around Swords and stuff. And I played in a couple of, like I said earlier, teenage bands where just guys in school would be like, "Hey, there's a battle of the bands. You just want to learn like I don't know two Blink One Eight Two songs and then throw original together and see who wins." Hmm. But in our year in school was Codeline, so they kind of won every year. Yeah, I was thinking <laughs> it because uh, our producer Phil. Uh, who's Codeline's yeah. producer lives in Swords as well. Like, so I was, th- I was thinking, do you know Codeline? They, they, the two lads were in my year. So okay. uh, they were, uh, people always said it to me, like, were you friends with them? And I was like, ah, I was, I was the fat stone with the red comics and listen to Slayer. So what do you think? Like, <laughs> oh, well, they're quite lads themselves. Like, so they, oh yeah, no, no. Like I, and I remember one of the nights, it was one of the first big nights for Val Normal. We'd won a battle of the bands and Swords. And, the two of them were actually at the show, and this was this was just before their uh, their first album had come out. Before High Hopes had uh, been released or anything, and I remember saying to Peter, "I was like, did you see the two lads in the crowd?" And they came up to the two of us, were like, "Well done on win, lads! Fantastic, good stuff." And we're like, "Oh, hey, good stuff!" Like, and we even chat, like, "What are you doing?" They're like, "Oh, we've just been sitting on something for ages. We're just waiting to release it." And then I think like three months later, that was when the first That's single came funny. out. Funny, I, I like, have a no story worry. about them from that exact period in time. Um, that when they were sitting on the album before it came mm. out, like with the big label, I, they were sitting on it for ages. Because I even said to them, like, I haven't seen you around Swords, and they were like, we've just been back and forth between the UK and here that we just don't really, really have a, a home at the minute. Like, yeah, and we knew what they were, you know, it, who they were because Phil told us about them, and he'd recorded the album. So we did a gig up mm. in Westmead, some festival, and um, 
the label must have wanted to get them some live gigs before they dropped the first single because didn't want you know this big single coming out and then they have to do all yeah. these gigs but they've never done any gigs so anyway they were on the bill with us like and we were all backstage drinking they gave us gone off bulmers bulmers <laughs> pear i think because oh, i remember when bulmer this is a nasty story now so if anyone's eating their dinner probably don't put it away but when it came out first it had a laxative effect the recipe was like dodgy and they had to recall all the bulmers pear like Oh, I remember reading too much that. Relaxative, laxative for people. But anyway, we had loads of this stuff backstage and we were drinking it. And Code and I were drinking it. We were all getting on great, really sound lads, just drinking away anyway. And we thought nothing of it. They did their gig, we did our gig. There was a small crowd. And we were like, oh, they're sound lads. And then about two weeks later, this song, High Hopes, came out. Like, they're the biggest yeah. band in the world. And like 10 years later, we're still drinking fucking gone off cider <laughs> backstage. But it's mad how oh. a band can just explode overnight when you have that kind of label exposure. Mm. Like they had uh, they had people behind them. Like, and even in school when we did like the Battle of the Bands show with them, you could see they like more people just kind of gravitated towards them. And I wish I could write music like that like I've tried but I've just I've just listened to heavy music so long in my life I'm just I just can't I remember one time I was really like no let's sit down and try and actually write like a good like radio hit or something and I was in standard tune and, and then I still was like I'm chugging away here in a riff I can't I just physically can't do it like it's just but I just I'd, I'd rather make music for me than for somebody else the older I get the more I realise that I'm just like it's all about expression itself it's about getting what you want out and at the end of the day like it's like it should be for yourself first and then if people happen to like it fantastic no i agree but i also have a theory about that because you know the way they talk about music as a language and they, usually mm. they, they talk about it more in like uh any ways in like the licks you play and the shapes you make and but i think of it in a more kind of a different way it's like the different genres you listen to are a language that you kind of start mm. to understand so like for me i'm the same i grew up listening to rock music and when i write music it's that kind of stuff but one of my pet peeves is like people like saying they're like in a certain type of band and they try to make that type of music and it never sounds real yeah. or genuine because it's not they don't have the they don't understand the language of it at all like me writing jazz music would be sound a bit weird like and for a jazz musician to write write, write a rock song it would just sound so stock and generic it just yeah, doesn't sound completely. right. I, I find when it comes to your influences, uh, I think it was Billy Sheehan who said it. He's like, by all means, let them color your songs, your style, your playing, but don't let it completely take over it. Don't just be a, a hard cut copy of whatever you've been listening to because, you know, in people's eyes, they're like, oh, you're just trying to do this or I've heard this before. Yeah, I've listened to so, a lot of bands over the years, like, and some of them would sound amazing like but they'd sound exactly like Alison Chains and I'm thinking I much prefer yeah. the shit if you're at a band night or, and like the last band on are really polished and they sound exactly like Rage or any band that we all like I'd have no interest I'd be like well I preferred the first band on they were all over yeah. the shop but they kind of had their own thing going on at least like the, the best for me is when you get the crazy bands just like the, the bands that clearly got together for that show yeah. just sniffed sniffed a load of something and then got on stage and <laughs> it's just chaos like they're my favorite ones because it's just like these guys just really don't care you like remember, it's, it's you remember sweeney's in dublin sure that was amazing oh for yeah the bands like a breeding ground for all these those type of bands like just made a band for that night kind of thing 
I was amazing. I, I, uh, my missus is a huge, huge fan of like the Irish music scene, but she was studying kind of all during like when she studied between 2010 and 2014, kind of at the height when Sweeney's was around. And I said to her, did you never go in? To Sweet, and she goes, You gotta understand, I was a broke student. I, I couldn't go into town. She's like, oh, it's not till I graduated and got my job that I started going into all the gigs and uh seeing all the bands, seeing who was who. And I was like, Oh, you missed you missed some amazing stuff. Sure like, you don't spend any money, like that's I think that's why the place yeah. went down. Like everyone was there was like drugs and cans being drank in the alley. <laughs> I don't oh, know how God, much I drink remember. the actual bar was selling. I remember one night, I think we played, we, we played upstairs and I went to go out the, the back for a cigarette and that whole lane would be jam packed yeah. with people. Like it, it'd be a COVID nightmare now, but it was like so many people. And at one point I just suddenly seen the seas of people parting and I was like, what's going on? And it was just a guy stark naked <laughs> sprinting up like with mad eyes on them swinging his boxes around and like the whole place cleared and then as he got to the top he like punched the guy out and then just disappeared around the corner <laughs> what the hell that's, that's typical like uh, in yeah. that alley that part of Dublin had a crazy night I remember Arthur's Day was insane Do you for, oh, um, yeah. for non-Irish listeners so um, I'd say it was about 10 years ago um, the advertising mm. department in in Guinness decided this woman actually won like business idea of the year for it she said why don't we invent a new holiday and we're going to call it Arthur's Day and the whole world gets a free pint of Guinness at what is it ten, yeah. ten, one minute to six is it 1859 or 18... 1859 yeah 1859 the year that Guinness was it uh, started so they decided to make this uh, holiday <laughs> fake holiday but the Irish really took it on board like it became bigger <laughs> than are... Paddy's Day there's a reason it's not around anymore. Yeah, it got <laughs> cancelled. <laughs> but uh, yeah. that kind of annoys me. Like, cause certain musicians came out against it saying, oh, it's so bad to drink. But they were, th we were getting paid really well for it. We loved Arthur's Day. We yeah. were like, oh, Arthur's Day is coming up. We're going to get all these really good paying gigs and they'll be mental. It was like a guaranteed because you would finish festival season and it was, I think it was mid to late September. September and the yeah. only thing, the only thing, kind of left in september is electric picnic and then from there you've kind of got that lull before things pick up again on halloween so it was mm -hmm. i used to always say i love it because it's 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 fixed it's got something there for that lull now you know yeah. there's always going to be a show and like you said and if you play your cards right you can get a decent gig and get paid really well because mm. when we were trying to do the make just making uh music our jobs i remember there was a lot of that it was like you'd be riding high one month and you're like, oh, we've bookings coming out like the year. Everything's fantastic. And then there'll be some months where you're like, oh, we're lucky if we get one little slot like for half an hour somewhere and you're chasing yeah. people for like 20 quid. Yeah, no, making your living in an original rock band, I don't think is good for anyone's mental health. I, I don't think no. anyone should tr pursue it. If you, if you start making so much money from your gig that you can stop your side gig, fair enough, but... I don't think it's a good idea to jump in head first to try and make no, it. No, no. We, we all did that after the success of our first album, of Val Normal, and it was very much just like, okay, yeah, and we'd made lots of money. And then I think it was September 2013 when we were like, right, let's go. Here's our plan going forward. And then it just nothing kind of worked out its way. And then what was it? I think a year and a half later, I'd left the band. 
And I was like, oh, shouldn't have done that. Like, <laughs> <laughs> why, why did you leave the band in the first time? You just were kind of sick of it or? Just, just sick of it. And it's, like I said, once I kind of made it my job, I kind of grew to not hate it, but the reason I started playing was to, was to de-stress. Hmm. So once playing became stressful, I was like, oh, this is not, this is not the real, like it's, it's the reason we pick up the instrument sometimes if we're having a rough day it just takes your mind off it. And they say is, they say playing music like operates both sides of your brain or something like that. And it just got to the stage where I was, I was nearly having panic attacks before going to the jam room because it was just, we just weren't getting on. And as I said, we were friends before it. So to suddenly have like friends not talking to each other because there's money involved or someone's carrying more gear. And then the other guy, it just, Mm. I just grew to hate it. And I wasn't, um, even the music and the stuff just wasn't doing it for me. And I was like, guys, I'm just, I'm just going to go if that's all right. Mm. Uh, did you come back into the band years later? I came, I came back to just do a couple of shows. Like, they've never really gotten back, back together. They've just kind of done a few shows here and there. And I've got up to do a song or two. But the last time uh, Dara booked a gig and he booked it, I mean, two weeks before the show itself, he just texted <laughs> me and went, oh, we're doing a Val Norma show. I was like, should we not like do a bit of promo or something yeah. around it or build it up? And he was just like, no. And the show was good, but I kind of said to him, that could have been a whole lot better if you didn't book it, you know, two weeks in advance. And we actually like drummed up something first. Mm. Yeah. That, <laughs> he's a great musician as well. Like, so in fairness, the band was very good. Top musicians in it. Like what, two so albums. Is say, that what you did? Two albums. And I, the, taught me taught me so much like I, I wouldn't be the bass player I was sorry I wouldn't be the bass player I am sorry if it wasn't for them like they really they really like made me change the way I, I approached the instrument the way I played it the way I just like handled everything around it mm. because beforehand I was I was a Primus fan so I was like okay so you just plug in slap away and the bass is in charge of everything <laughs> <laughs> and then they were like no no we want you to kind of be more of a supportive role and I was like supportive role what's that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they I'm, were like I'm nice people here <laughs> yeah yeah but I remember uh <laughs> they were always trying to get me to do it and I'm a huge Fate No More fan so whenever mm. I would like go off the handle too much Lodge would just go Bill Gold and I go you're right he wouldn't do that there it was always like a way to rein me in he'd yeah, just go yeah. watch it Bill Gold and I go you're absolutely right yeah <laughs> I love his tone his his bass tone uh, the bass player from Fate No More it's it's so cutting and like punchy always like yeah and he just the the fact that he plays like three different styles in like one song sometimes you'll see him with a pick for like a verse then you'll see him slapping for the chorus then you'll see him finger signing for the bridge then you'll see him doing like some pan muting kind of stuff yeah. in between like just a, a, a joy to watch yeah sure the, their their biggest song epic is some lesson in restraint for bass players he just plays yeah. e, e for the whole song even when the chords change he just keeps pedaling an e note boom 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 and everyone thinks he slaps that but he's actually playing it with a pick oh is he yeah i've played it in the yeah. bands before and then you get to go mm. crazy at the end and do all yeah runs and stuff. I, d- I did a show that a friend of mine started a fate no more tribute act oh, and they asked me to fill in for a show in temple more is a temple born metal fest and i'm a huge huge fate no more fan yeah, I so i just I re- they're one of my favorite bands classically yeah. I said yes to it straight away, but they were like, oh, we did. The reason we're doing this is we were doing a Guns N' Roses uh, show with Abuse Your Illusion. So we're only doing songs off the real thing and Angel Dust. 
Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, King for a Day is probably my uh, favorite album, but no worries, we'll go on. But it was just so much fun learning those songs and then getting to play them with a full band. Like, mm. still one of the most fun gigs I've ever played. Did you do War Pigs as well? Like, didn't do War Pigs. We did Zombie Eaters, which I, I didn't realize how hard Zombie Eaters was <laughs> until I had to properly sit down and learn. And even at that, I definitely played some bum notes going through it because it's, it's, you just forget how all over the mm. fretboard he is in some parts. Um, we did Zombie Eaters. We did, we care a lot, obviously Epic and just a few others, but it, it was just so, so much fun to play. Tear, it's, tear it. Go ahead, sir. If, if I could be stuck in a time loop for the rest of my life, it would just be that week where I learned the songs, really? play with the band and play the show. It, it was just... I, and there was like, no chance that you could stick around in the band. You were just filling in for someone else. Was it? I was just filling in, but they uh, every member of the band was in other sort of tribute bands that were just had more gigs. Like, there's just not much demand for a Fate No More tribute act because no, I'd said it for years. It's a lot of work, like, isn't it? Having those yeah. songs together for a few gigs. I'd said it to my friends for years. I was like, the dream is, lads, the dream is to start a Fate No More tribute act. And then a friend of mine just went, where are you going to play? Like, the average punter knows Epic. And yeah. that's really it. And I was like, shoot, you're absolutely right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're a class band. Very interesting the way they went through mm. all the different periods. You know, the first singer was kind of a rapper, wasn't he? He didn't have a great arrangement yeah, of yeah. songs. He was a rapper. And then they had Mike Patton. And then the main, the main guy in the band, is it Bill Martin? Is that his name? The guitarist? Yeah, he, he quit. So then their sound changed again. Like so, their oh, albums Jim, are so Jim different. Jim Martin, their albums are so different. Like when you listen to them all, hmm. they could be a different band. Like that's the beauty of them. They're just so. I I just find they were way ahead of their time. <clears throat> they were doing new metal before new metal was a thing. They were doing like they're just the stuff they would mix in and the covers. Like they're doing Burt Bacharach covers. You know, they're supposed to be a metal band. Like. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't caught them live yet. No, I'll definitely have to see them now. No, me neither. The next it's, year or whenever, like. It's, who is it? I have three bands left to see. It's themselves, Radiohead, and, oh, there's always one more. I was like, once I see them, I'm going to see Tool in May, so too, I, yeah. I can. I'll be there, I'll see yeah. you there. <laughs> where, where are you? I think I'm in the nosebleeds. Oh, fuck, somewhere like that. It was impossible yeah. to get those tickets. Like. I didn't think we were going to get one. I was in Portugal on holidays with ourselves when they were going on sale and I said, ah, like I'm not even going to be able to log on and get them because like I've only my spending money with me and that's that. And then one of my friends just messaged me out of the blue and was like, I'm in. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I'm, I'm like, I'm on Ticketmaster. I've gotten through. It hasn't crashed. Like, do you want one? And I was like, give me two just to be safe. And he like did the whole thing. And then next thing I knew he was like, my computer worked. We have our tickets. And I was like, fantastic. The <laughs> only thing is, and I was like, are we at the nosebleeds? He's like, we're at the, I was like, screw it. It's till you want to just up sit there as well. Like, so I didn't care either. I was, I got online yeah. and I was like, don't care. Just click, click till I get a ticket. Like when I saw Primus like that, it was the same. It was in the Albert hall and it was over. So the stage was here and I was kind of tucked to the side of the stage almost, but it was Les Claypool side. So that suited me down to the ground. <laughs> I saw Primus in um, Brixton in London, but being a typical fucking paddy, I went over there and I didn't know that there's like numerous O2s in London. So like, oh, tons. <laughs> I, I was at the O2 and I got a load of drink in the Tesco. There's actually a Tesco near the O2. 
and I was drinking cans like on the grass outside, like thinking, Jesus, there's a very old crowd going into Primus, all these old people. <laughs> and I was like, there's something, I don't know what's going on. There's something wrong here. So I, di- I didn't know if I had a smartphone at the time. So I went in to see what's going on. Turns out Neil Diamond was on in the O2. And I was like, where the hell are Primus playing? I looked at my ticket. It's like Brixton O2. Brixton Academy. <laughs> Leg it onto the train, get all the way across London. But I made it to the gig anyway. You so made it? Like, I made it over on time, yeah. That's a distance, like the O2 to Brixton. Yeah. With, uh, no, they're class live. I love Primus. I, I, I don't yeah. listen to them much anymore. Like I find out with a lot of my teenage bands, when I go back to listen to them now, uh, it's I'm not into them as much as I used to be. Like I still love Metallica though, like because they were my first yeah. big band. Like I absolutely like I just adore Metallica. And whenever someone looks at me like, "Oh, is that not something you grow out of when you're like 16?" I'm just like, "No, it's it's just I'm I'm uh, two friends that I'm we're in a WhatsApp group chat. We went to see Metallica in 2017 in Manchester, and it sort of just become like a metal meme related WhatsApp group, but we just constantly, constantly talk about Metallica in it. Like, and oddly enough, we started off jokingly saying St. Anger is our favorite album, but now we genuinely love St. Anger. So absolutely. Yeah. Poor that album. I, ha- I found it when I was cleaning the shed there a few months ago and I mean, I put it into my van and I actually couldn't believe how bad it was. Like, so I don't, what, what is it you like about it? <laughs> Cause like the songs are too long. The, <clears throat> production is awful there's a few good riffs but yeah I, there's no there was nothing there for me at all like i'd say if, i don't know i could have compressed the, time, the entire album into one song of good ideas <laughs> <laughs> it started as like just a joke but then suddenly it just kind of took off and i was like god i think we'll all the one thing we always go back to is lulu is without a doubt the worst thing they've ever released what's so the lyric, we're like what's the lyric i am the table i am the table like oh like <laughs> I remember reading that at the time. It was just like Metallica and Lou Reed are working on an album. And I was like, Lou Reed from the Velvet Underground? I was like, okay, we'll see how this works. And I remember they went on Jules Holland and I was like, wow, this must be, it must be reputable if Jules Holland's gotten them on. And I stuck it on and I watched Ice Honey and I was just like, it's like pizza and ice cream. The two things are fantastic, but they should not be put together. No, like I think he banned Kirk Hammond for using the wah pedal on that session, yeah. which was good. <laughs> My God, like just so because that it will always be just like the pinnacle for bad metallic albums. I think that's why Saint Anger just gets gets left by in our in our yeah. little group. Well, they set the bar so low with Lulu, like they can yeah. never go below it. Like, thankfully, Ed, um. Hardwired, I thought was great. Yeah, I, I I really liked that album. It was cool. I, I loved the way they made a music video for every song. That was yeah. classic. Like. I genuinely like. There was. I remember listening to it and just being like, right. If the fans don't like this one, then there is genuinely no please them because it's just it's it's got a bit of everything on it. Hmm. I I like Load and Reload myself. I know James Hetfield often says he doesn't like those albums. Maybe he hates the artwork more than anything, but. <laughs> I uh, I explained the artwork to someone recently and they genuinely looked at me disgusted I was like oh did you not know that they're like no I was like sorry to sorry to ruin your evening or anything like that I actually don't Does think the... it's bad artwork like it's weird yeah. the way he made it but it, I think it looks cool like I think the two albums have so many like really good songs on them and it's just I don't know I find people people are so judgmental when it comes to anything Metallica do post black album mm. even to this day but I'm just like hey it's it's just nice to have some 
really th- that they're still doing it like yeah. there's so many bands that stop or so many bands that get to a certain point they become caricatures of themselves whereas they're still trying to do something new or they're trying to even with that black album release they did the way they had like like they'd have Mel to make over the god that failed like i mean yeah, that's they, amazing Kamazi washington doing um did you hear that one no he, no he was doing my god my was it my friend of misery literally my. used nothing from the song except the one thing that most people don't like the, the vocals and the lyrics <laughs> he, he kept he didn't keep any of the riffs or anything all all that's from the original version is the lyrics and the vocals and it's class the, the bass solo makes that song <laughs> the bass is unbelievable yeah yeah but I just, I, I always, I'm just happy when it comes out. It's like I approach Star Wars and Batman stuff the same way. I'm like, I'm just happy it's coming out. Like, I, I remember as a kid, you had to, like, to get a metallic album, to get, like, I don't know, a special edition of something. You had to go above and beyond for it. These days, you just pick up your phone and it's there. It's like the new Ghost album came out yesterday. And I just got to sit there and listen to it for the whole day. And I was like, this is amazing. I, like... I just everything's within arm's reach and it's just great that we're getting so much stuff now do you still consume music like you did as a teenager like I find myself I have to force myself to listen to new music because I don't want to be one of those owl lads who Mm. only listens to his teenage bands I'm very lucky in the fact that a lot of people I hang around with are younger than me so I can kind of say oh hey what's what's going on with this or what's going on with that and I'll never I'll never shut it down and say, I don't want to listen to that or oh, music stuff being good after 2006 or something. I'm like, no, no, there's, there's always something new to like uh, the WhatsApp uh, Metallica group. The two lads are strung out on turnstile hmm. and they've in turn, have got me listening to them now. And it's just, and another friend has me strung out on Greta Van Fleet. And I'm just like this, I know they're not new, new, but hmm. it's still something in the last five years. And it's nice to just have an idea. Of what's going on in music at the minute yeah i like that idols band they're cool they, their last album was yeah really good. i saw them in uh oh what's the name not kilmainham ivy gardens and i'd only knew i only knew two songs and my friend was like come on let's go and i left that gig like hardcore devoted now i'm just like if you get a chance to see them live i strongly advise you go uh, they what, are unbelievable. What bass players that are out there at the moment kind of inspire you because it's I know people usually mention like the jazz guys and that but it, would those guys be interest you to watch online to learn stuff from or is it more people from bands and stuff that get you excited like people from bands but I, I definitely you can't deny the uh, emergence of like guys on YouTube like you know Davey 504 and Scott's Bass Lessons is great because he just puts sometimes he puts something up and it just it's exactly what you wanted to hear at the time and it makes you want to pick up and then i know he doesn't he does everything but is it rick beto or beto i never know rick beto he's great because i love when he take what i love is what makes this song great Mm, where he just strips everything down and and it just makes you it makes you want to sit and dissect music again because that's uh, um with spotify it's great but we've lost ownership we just kind of rent things now and, and you quickly just skim through an album like you probably remember the days of when you used to queue up at Grafton Street HMV to get yeah, like yeah, the new yeah. release and you would live in that album because you're like no I, I spent my I spent my hard-earned like pocket money on this it was ferocious markup 20 euros for a CD like what were they yeah, thinking yeah I remember I paid 
it was just as the euro would come in, I paid eighteen ninety nine for Slipknot's Iowa, and I genuinely was like, I can't believe I'm paying this much for a CD. I know there were some robbing bastards, like it's crazy. But it may, as I said, it made you listen when people are like, "What album you listen to?" It's like, still, Iowa by Slipknot. I've had it a month, but I'm wearing this thing out because I've paid so much for it. Like that, that was brilliant. But it was also terrible when you bought a ter- a shite album and you're just listening. To it yeah, you get spent a week's worth of allowance or something on it. Or you buy that album for the one song you heard that you love and it's the first song on the album and the rest is not very good. Yeah, it's like, oh God. Your other projects are interesting though. You were doing this two-piece, Stitch Jones. Like, Mm. How did did that come about? Did you always envision yourself as a two-piece? You on bass and vocals and the drummer. He sang as well, didn't he? And drums. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd always want, I was a massive Death Above 1979 fan. And I remember a friend had introduced him to me. And when he explained, he's like, they're a bass player and a drummer. And I was like, what? How's that work? And he said, oh, no, it's, I said, is he looping? He said, no, he's not looping anything. It's, he's doing like what Jack White does, where he'll just continue playing. The drum will continue playing while the bass stops and stuff like that. And they'll sing. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. And I always said I wanted to do it. And I tried to do it with a few drummers and it never really uh, worked. And then Ross who I eventually did it with. We always hung out because both our bands would kind of meet and we would hang out whenever our bands were together. But then we started doing it outside of it. We were both big football fans. So we decided like, let's just meet up, go watch the football together, have a few points and just not talk about music. Because mm. we talked about music all day with our bands. So we were like, let's, let's take some time away from it. And then I decided to ruin that lovely friendship we had by getting music involved in it. <laughs> and that, that was it. I just said to him like, Hey, I, I have this idea and I've always wanted to do it. And he looked at me like a two heads. He's like, what? And I showed him some death from above and right around that time, Royal blood first, first album came out and everyone was really like, Oh, wow. I'd never heard this like bass player and drummer thing. And I was like, Oh, I've heard about this since like 2003 or four when I first seen DFA. And then I said to him, why don't we try and do this? And it took a bit to get going because we were trying to just figure out what to do. I was trying to figure out what, what way to use my pedals, what way to get such a big sound. And then we went in and we recorded and our producer, Mick, he was like, I've never done anything like this before. This is going to be so exciting to do. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And we just, I kind of couldn't imagine life playing with any other band. That's why it's pretty weird to be playing with another band now. Like, but it was just always, and I loved, and I am, um, at one point, Ross uh, went away to Brazil in 2018. He was just gone for a few months. So I said, hey, I've been offered some shows. Do you mind if I continue on without you? And he's like, yeah, please do. I'll, I'll, I'll get back to it when I get back. So I got Dara in. Mm. And I don't, know if, I don't know if you've ever seen Dara drum, but he he's brilliant. Like, yeah, he's so great. he's great at everything. He's an yeah. asshole like that. You can you can hand him a saxophone. And he's like, there you go. And I'm just like, oh. <laughs> Well, he filled in from for a while and then he kind of, Dara kind of showed me a different way to like hook my pedals up. And he's like, well, have you ever split your signal? And I was like, no, no, I've usually just gone through one amp and then the PA and I use uh, an Octobase and EBS. And he was just like, here, let's get my POG too. Let's figure out a way. And we literally sat in our rehearsal space, I think for a whole day, just trying different signal chains and ways to figure out the best that it would come through both amps and not lose anything. And to this day, I stick by that. I had to take my pedal board apart 
to jam with the guys and I actually had to sit and draw out a diagram of what <laughs> goes into it to remember. And it's sitting beside my bed and my miss is like, what is that? I literally had to draw like square and be like, hug, draw lead into that and direction. I said, it's blueprints. It's so when I have to like play the Sis Jones stuff again, I actually know how to plug it all in. It's a bit reminiscent of the Bill Bailey sketch. Uh, con- what is it? Catastrophic event at a U2 gig. Uh, yeah, when Edge's pedal board stops working <laughs> instead of playing this epic soundscape, it's just like twinkle twinkle or something. Yeah, it's just and it can be so hard when you are playing live and something goes wrong because you're just like, right, I've got nine pedals and two signal chains. Let's let's try and figure out what's going on here. But it's 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 so when I finally got it and got like we got a good sound out of it and I was happy with it. I was gen I was over the moon because it was something I just always wanted to do. And, and I'm still doing it. We still have two shows coming up um, in May and June. Like, I haven't stopped altogether, but I've just wanted to try something di- something else different and just see what it's like to just be a bass player in a band again. I've just yeah. forgotten what it's like. Yeah, it's class to be back. I have a good hack for you for catastrophic vi- uh, things out of a gig. I bought you can buy these things online. It's like a, it's like a, a one, it'll, it'll power one pedal. It's like a nine volt battery plugs into it. Have you seen them? So, yeah. So I have two of them in my little case that's on stage. So if something goes wrong, I'm not going to try and fix all my pedals. I've got like two or three of them. So I'll have distortion, a tuner, and whatever other pedal I want. Yeah. Just running off the little batteries. So it saves you. I might do that for what I'm doing with Strange the Guns because because with them, I just stripped my pedal board back completely. I was like, all I need for this is EQ, distortion, tuner. And then I threw the Line 6 DL4 in because I love the sampler on it and what it's great. That pedal? It's that big green one, is it? With three the big green one. Switches. Yeah. I'm, I still don't use it as much as I should. I, it just has every kind of uh, delay and reverb in it you could want, but it has the sampler section. And that thing is great for like in between songs or if something goes wrong with the guitar player, you're just like, right, I could just make some big loopy thing here the drummer could join in and i could just like do a jack of a story a solo way in it while mm. they try and fix the problem it's just great it's a great thing to have for situations like that because even yeah. the guy said like what's with the big green pedal like what <laughs> you need that for and i was like this is why and i like turned into the thing and i just started making loops on the spot and then samples and they're like that's brilliant and i was like yeah and i was like it's it's just such a, a great all right and it mm. has tough tempo Tap tempo delay will always always save you in any situation. Like yeah, I don't use delay at all. I have a delay pedal TC one. I must yeah. start using it. But because I like to really learn the pedals I have first, so I'll, I'll yeah. add in the, the delay eventually. That one, um, I'm still getting my head around it, but that's why I have a a Boss like DD7, which has like the the stop starty thing that Dari used to use a lot. But I was like, no, I've. I've never sat down and just properly used this DL4. And I was like, and there's so much I know I can do with it. I have to just sit down and, and work this thing out. It does weigh a ton is the only thing. Mm. Well, my pedal <laughs> board is some weight as well. I've got some heavy yeah. pedals on it. Like, I'm not using the big, huge one now. I, I've actually I've actually gone back to the Aldi bag. Oh, just, nice, to, yeah. just to bring it back. <laughs> there's an Aldi bag sitting right beside my door. And my missus went to pick it up. And she's like, Christ, what's in that? And I said, that's just me pedals. Just leave them there. That, that's for when we're next gigging. <laughs> it's handy you know it does it's easy to carry in you know it doesn't take up a lot yeah. of space like and once um once i'm paid at the end of the month and i know like i'll just i'll pick up a small pedal board for myself i know i have one 
in Ross's old place. But I think he told me, he looked at it the other day and he said, one of the things is gone. So it could just suddenly spring open on you yeah. in the middle of town. And I was like, oh, I don't want that happening now. So I can recommend a good one. It's uh, from Gator. They have these tote bag pedal boards. Have you seen them? And they, yeah, they come actually. with a free power supply that go, is in under it when you get it. Like. And they look, they kind of just look like uh, almost the kind of base bags you just kind of have on your back, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's a big briefcase kind of thing. But I found oh, them fantastic. very good. Good value as well. It, like. Yeah, it's it's only, I think it's only four pedals I'm going to use tops. Like I can't see myself throwing any more in. And if I did, it'd be a tiny little mirror one that just goes in. Like, uh, Why did they get a second guitarist, The Stranger With Guns? Um, they got Jim in. Jim was from Jim's from uh, Hashmaker, this crazy, crazy band. Oh, Jim, from he's from Clonmelshire. He's from this, oh, is he? My town here, yeah. I was wondering why he kept saying up tip the other day to something I was saying. And I was, <laughs> I was like, people are obsessed with saying that up tip. Man, Dublin people are obsessed. With, I know lots of Dublin people that say like uh, up tip to loud stuff because I was always like, oh, I used to play up and down Clonmel and Nina. It's like tips, tips always been always been a good spot to me. Like, um. So they got Jim was filling in for this gig they did last week because I, I remember I said to them like, yeah, I'm happy to join, but I want to jam first. And they're like, we have a gig on Saturday and this was Tuesday. And I was like, lads, if, if it's all right with you, because they were like, we have someone to fill in for that gig. I was like, yeah, yeah, just 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 go with, go with whoever you have filling in. And then he told me like, oh, by the way, it's, uh, it's Jim from uh, Hashmaker. And I was like, oh, my God, I was like do you even want me still? I was like, man, he is insane. Like he's such a good player, such a presence. Like, and they were like, no, no, we actually want him as second guitar player now. And we want you to be the bass player. And I was just like, wow, that's, that's going to sound pretty huge with the four of us. And they were like, yeah, yeah, that's the plan going forward. They were like, now that it's a different band, let's try and shake things up a bit more. And I was like, Hey, more than happy to, to do that. Like, that's cool. Any, any gigs coming up down Cork or down in Munster? Like, <laughs> Where it's Siege of Limerick. That's my first oh, gig with them. I've never yeah, been I've to never Siege done of Limerick. It's all, I heard it's absolutely classy. Oh, I've, I've heard. Because I know the, the guy, I know Batman and Zora. And he like, he says great, great reception every time they play. And I've just always, I mean, I've wanted to do metal. I've wanted to be in a metal band so much in the last few years. And when the lads told me like, oh, we're doing the Siege. And I was like, oh, are, are you going more of a metal direction? They're like, we're thinking metal stuff and i was like that's great in lockdown i've been writing lots of like thrash metal riffs they were like mm. great bring it in so i'm just really excited to be playing some some proper like heavy metal kind of stuff and so it always sells out like so it's going to be a big yeah, show yeah. instead of as you know as well as i do lots of shows with like no one at it only the band's girlfriends and the bar <laughs> yeah they they get pretty old pretty quickly like. You, you say you're going to get up there and just treat it like uh like it's just going to be like a jam and you know whatever but halfway through you just do feel a bit like god what you am can't I concentrate you're like thinking about whatever mm. other stuff in your life when there's no one at the gig it's impossible to get into it usually like you can just see your mom in the corner figuratively just saying i told you you shouldn't have done this i'm like i know i know i should have got a day job <laughs> wasting your life uh, you released yeah. a, a solo album before as well like that was just a once off yeah game, yeah it was it was yeah yeah it was four track ep it was from playing with dara once i started playing with him again and we tore tore apart the sound and shook it up and we just started we started just jamming for no reason just to hang out like it wasn't like we gigs coming up like suddenly and because we had access to a place it was 24 hours 
sometimes I'd meet him at like 11.30 at night on a Wednesday and we just stayed there all night just like banging out riffs and tunes and just having a laugh. And then he was like, have you been working on anything? And I was like, oh, I got like, you know, two or three things, but nothing's finished. And then he was like, let's go in and record them. I'll do the drums for you. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, you don't want me to pay or anything he was like no you just pay for the recording sessions and i'll drive us to and from it and it's no problem and i was like fantastic so that's how that came about and it's really it was something something i always again something i always wanted to do just to see if i could do it on my own as such and it got to the stage where i was going into that jam space and i was treating it like a job i'd go in at 9 a.m and I'd work for like two, three hours and I'd take like a, a smoke and a coffee break. And then I'd come back in, I'd do another two, three hours and I'd have like lunch. And I was doing it all on my own and writing and stuff like that. And it was it was really, really like rewarding to do. Did you find it hard to finish the songs considering it was just you? I would find that impossible to fully finish the song on my own like and without anyone else to kind of bounce off. Daryl was kind of helping you with the, the finishing yeah. up kind of. He was he was always there at the end. Like I'd he'd say, Go off, do a thing, bring it to me, and we'd sit and I'd be like, What do you think of that? And he's just like, Right, shave off the four minutes at the end there. I'm like, why? He's like, it's it's just not necessary. And I'd be like, but it's gonna be great. And he's like, honestly, he said, We used to do 10, 12 minute songs, just just no need to do them anymore. Like you can get it done in 325, like you used to. And I was like, Okay, fine. And that ended up probably being like the one song people remember the most from the ep and i was like good stuff that was nearly going to be an eight minute instrumental <laughs> thankfully thankfully dara got it down to like four minutes on the nose i think yeah i think queens of stone age are a great band for that like if you ever learn one of their songs and you're like jesus there's a lot of riffs you're thinking there's so much in yeah. that song but it's only three minutes long that's like yeah. what you're aiming for i'm just if we just listen to too much tool i think man we're like no the song needs to be 12 minutes long and have like a whole subsection where like we just talk about like rainbows and stuff yeah yeah and drum solos and timpalas and all this stuff yeah no i'm I'm finding the older i get i'm very much just kind of like i'm going the other way now i'm like lads let's get the song done in one minute 50 if we can get a one minute 50 song in we're we're on to a winner yeah we worked with a a producer george reef um in texas he actually passed away since but he was a really cool dude but he was saying every section of your song should have something different even the second verse yeah you need a little bit of ear candy there or something different like never have any section of your song repeats that's exactly the same as before even if it's yeah. only the tiniest change you have to do that people mightn't even notice it but subconsciously they will keep them hooked like we were always trying to do that uh in stitch jones that's what ross taught me is like have dynamics like don't just don't just have the song opening with you with all your distortion on and it's just bang, 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 bang the whole way through. He's like, have it like open it really quietly or play the same riff in the chorus, but change one note and change one line of the melody. And I was like, yeah. oh, wow, I never, never thought about it that way. And it's just such a great approach to play music. Yeah, oh, I'm doing a bit of songwriting with my students now. One of them, Mike's his name, he's like, 10 and he's writing like a song a week so i'm showing him like covers i'm like you see what they did in this song like i said to him every song has one unique element and you should learn it and put it in the bank and you might be able to use it yourself then in your own song you know oh totally totally a lot of the best riffs in the world you're kind of like how'd you come up with that and it's like i was just trying to sound like so and so and this ended up coming out and it's like and you could easily sit there and say every song sounds the same or this sounds like that and i'm like sometimes it is just it's just coincidence that something 
sounds like I mean, what is it? Is it Dua Lipa who's in trouble at the minute? Yeah, oh, that's like, a complete rip off. The when they put the two songs yeah. side by side, it's yeah. Sometimes it's it's blatantly obvious, and then other times it is just like, well, that song was written in 1972. This person wasn't even born. They've never had any inclinations that they listen to this type of music. They just happen to have found this melody that just happens to sound like this yeah. melody. So it is hard trying to figure. Because I've done. I remember one time I sat down. <clears throat> it would have been very early on when I was playing, and I was like, I'm going to write a whole song, and I wrote it and I brought it to my brother and I brought it to the guys in the band and they were just like yeah the riff's great but the melody's fell in love with a girl by the white stripes I went no it isn't they went it is and they've been singing it there and I went and I was like oh god it is I was like sorry lads back to the drawing board but especially with riffs it's just the nature of guitar music I remember we had a song for our second album and had this cool riff and then before we got the album recorded Gary Clark Jr. brought out a single which was the same riff but we yeah. had the riff before his song came out so I, I actually was in texas and I, I was in um on sixth street and i went into a bar and who's there gary clark jr oh brilliant typical dumb drunk irish fella i go up to him you stole my song <laughs> you stole our song <laughs> and he's just looking at me like what is this guy talking about <laughs> security can you please remove this very drunk yeah, man <laughs> pretty much but uh a bit in terms of bases you've gone through a few over the year but i think you're like myself, you're an aerodyne man. Uh, that, he's 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 sitting over there, but he needs work. I lent him to uh, to Dara because Dara's in a new band himself now, and he he just needed a bass to record with. But he handed him back to me, and there's a piece of his bridge missing, and I just bought a new set of cream Demarzio pickups, which I'm going to have installed in it. Cause oh, I really, I, and I, think, I was going to put mine as cream, but this, the covers wouldn't fit on these EMGs. Like the cream does yeah. look good, right? So I bought them and I was supposed to get it done about two weeks ago. And then I realized like, there's no deadline. Like I want it ready for the siege, but that's not till the 17th of April. Uh, Sunday 17th of April Dolan's Limerick Siege see us there <laughs> <laughs> that's a kill me if I don't plug like I'll get this out this month so it'll be you'll be yeah. plugging away but the plan was to have it ready for then so I, as I said I'm literally looking at him right now and every time I see him I'm like God you need just a bit of a bit of work and a bit of love put into you so when I get back from Germany I'm going to there's a guy in Portobello actually Good old bassist Ireland. I just threw it into the chat and was like, guys, anyone know uh, anywhere based in Dublin, I can just get my guitar, like my bass guitar, like fixed. I need this, this and this done. And as wonderful as bass Ireland always is, I got like seven suggestions. Mm. And this one guy was like, hey, I'm literally down the road in Portobello. And I was like, you're a 10 minute walk from my house. He's like, drop it in anytime. I'll have it sorted for you there and then. So I'm going to give him a shout when I get back. Yeah, so that's you. You don't have a big bass collection, though, do you? You have an Aerodyne and a few P basses. That's kind of it, is it? Yeah, I sold the P bass actually. I okay. sold the P bass to a friend because uh, it was it was just sitting gathering dust. But I got um my main workhorse at the minute is an OLP Stingray, and it's funny because it's a bass that had been stolen off me eleven years ago. <laughs> and no joke, no joke. My brother borrowed it for a gig in Wheelands. And I bought the bought the bass brand new in do you remember the guitar shop at the back of Georgia Street Arcade? Yeah, yeah, I think I do it. Yeah, I can't remember the name and it was gone. It's been gone years, but I bought it in there in like I'd say like 2000, 
nine or ten or something like that. And my brother borrowed it for a gig in Wheelands and he left it there overnight and he came back the next day and he's just like, Yeah, it's missing. I was That's like how every base gets robbed. Yeah, goes on the piss, they leave it somewhere, it's gone. Never, never leave an instrument overnight somewhere. I, since then I yeah. don't rest. Someone's like, Hey, I can leave this here and lock the door. I go, I don't care, I'm not doing it. But yeah. I love loved that bass. It was even though it's an OLP, I know it's not a music man, but you find some gorgeous bases under 500 euro easily. And I was on, I scoured adverts for years because it's a specific particular color as well. Because OLP are, were discontinued. So when I got started, heard of the brand. Where are they from? Bro? Yeah. They're essentially what Sterling is now. Oh, okay. So it's, it's like, uh, it was, um, music man's kind of squire hmm. tony levin had a, a signature olp with them and as i said they got discontinued so when it did get stolen i was like oh, i'll just get another one and then i looked everywhere online and they were like sorry we're discontinued and then they brought out sterling which was a, a different version of it which i bought one of them and it was lovely but i always was chasing that olp i wanted hmm. it so bad and then one day last year i was just on adverts and i was like oh my god I was like, that's it. I was like, that's the color. I said, if it has the mark and there's like a little mark on the, at the top where the strap locks go, there's a little kind of like, it looks like a cigarette burn almost. I don't know how I got it there, but I was like, if it has that mark, it's that one. And I messaged a guy and I was like, hey, I'm just looking to buy this. Because I thought it's probably not the guy who stole it. It's been 11 years. The thing yeah. could have gone. And then I asked him, can I just ask how you came into it? And the guy was like, yeah, I was just needing a bass for home record. And I seen it on um, adverts last year for like 200 quid. So I just got it and went, ah, all right. It's, it's not the guy who took it. Mm. Not that I would even say anything. I just want, I want, yeah, I wanted it back so bad. I was like, I don't, I don't even care. I was like, I just want this. And I was unfortunately in work the day he was dropping it over. So I got my missus to go out and get it. He was dropping it to the house and I asked her, like, what was he like? And she said, oh, he had like his two children in the back. He looked like a very mild-mannered fella. And like, his, I was like, oh, so definitely not the guy. So she goes, yeah. no, no, like <laughs> clearly just the guy that does home recording. And I've had that back now and it's just, it's it's been my go-to until I get the Aerodyne fixed. That's class. But Jesus, mad to see an old instrument come <clears> back. <throat> you think it would never go come back to you, like go, be going to England oh, or it somewhere? Was, like it was gone. It was, once it got to like five years and I couldn't find it anywhere. On adverts, I said, like, ah, here, this is gone. Or whoever took it genuinely is using it. And I was like, in a, in a way, maybe that's not so bad. You got fingers crossed because I've never had anything stolen on me yet. Yeah. Uh, I must insure everything. Uh, the, my mother keeps ringing me saying, have you insured all your instruments? And this is going oh. on for years. Like, I was Someone like, got into that shed, man. I'm telling you, they would they would walk out very happy. I, I'd walk out a very happy. <laughs> They'd have a field day. Yeah. But, uh, cheers for coming on. Um I, oh, I hope I'll, great, I'll get this out this month. So it's uh yeah. Dolan's Siege of Limerick. Yeah, it's, uh, April 17th, East, Easter Sunday. What better way to celebrate the second coming than to go to Dolan's for a sweaty yeah. metal show? Deadly. I'm on tour in England in April, but I'm not sure if I'm around, I'll try pop down to it. And it, I was trying your... to get to your show in oh, yeah. Wheelands last time, but I was I had an exam, so I couldn't make it. I was I was very, very sad. I was hoping to see I haven't seen you in person in a while so yeah no we'll do another dublin show in the summer probably not we're not playing in ireland as much as we used to because you know yeah. it's hard the gigs aren't really there like we're in, in, in yeah, yeah. A lot, though. <clears throat> fantastic well 
if even if I'm in England, I'll always check it out because we're definitely going back and forth there a lot the next while with work and stuff. So cool. I'll always have my eye and ear out for you, my friend. Cheers, man. Thanks for coming on. I'll put all your links oh, down in the me. description. That kind of crack. Yeah. Fantastic. Thanks so much for having me on. It was a joy.